Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of this show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to help you purchase the music that you hear on the show, and a little bit of that purchase price comes back to the show. And you'll find a donate button. If you feel like the Jazz Session has added something to your life and you'd like to give a little back, you can donate safely and securely via PayPal at thejazzsession.com. My guest today is pianist and composer Mark Copeland. He is one-fifth of what you would describe as a supergroup if this were the rock world. Uh, Dave Liebman on saxophone, John Abercrombie on guitar, Drew Gress on bass, Billy Hart on drums, and Mark Copeland on piano make up a band called Contact, and they've got a new album on Pirouette Records called Five on One. Uh, One of the compositions on here that Mark wrote is called Child Moon Smile. My guest is pianist and composer Mark Copeland. He is part of uh, what, if this were the rock world, we would call a supergroup called Contact with uh, Dave Liebman and uh, John Abercrombie, Drew Gress, Billy Hart, and uh, Mark. The band is called Contact, and their new album on uh, Pirouette Records is called Five on One, and it's my pleasure to have Mark on the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Uh, one thing uh, that's great about this record is that it, it combines so many relationships uh, that you've had over the years uh, all in one place. Can you talk a little bit about how the five of you decided to, to come together for this? Well, I'm, you know, I'm not sure exactly how it happened. <laughs> we all know each other and we all talk all the time. And I mean, at some point, somebody said to somebody, you know, you want to try and do something this summer. And somebody else said, sure, and the emails were flying back and forth and all that. And it just kind of took shape. One thing, um, 
I read that you had said in the uh, research I was doing for this interview was you talked about the relationship with, with different producers, and uh, I wonder if you talk a little bit about what the five of you recording uh, for Pirouette and working uh, with Jason was like. Well, I mean, Jason's, uh, you know, he's, he's a great saxophone player, and he's a... Uh, he knows me very, very well, so I find it very easy to work with him. This this particular uh, session, you know, he's generally hands-off anyway, but this particular session he was, you know, almost completely hands-off. He was just kind of watching it happen and, and then doing little things here and there to make it a little better. But, uh, you know, five, five guys like that in the studio, there's not too much else to do. <laughs> yeah, that, fair enough. Um, the uh, compositions on the record come from uh, from everybody, and uh, I wonder if you just talk a little bit uh, about what you guys brought into the studio. Had you had time to rehearse these? Did you let it happen in the recording session? How did it work? Uh, a little of both, and and we brought obviously more tunes um, than made the record. So you know there were several tunes from from everybody. But then you know like like I always do, at least with Pirouette, we just we didn't worry about who wrote what or anything like that. We just went for the best music. I saw uh, several reviews that described uh, your playing as either introspective or contemplative. Those seem to be the two most popular words to describe your playing. And I wondered uh, whether you think that's a, an accurate tag. Um, and, you know, if, if so, uh, I guess how you've, how you've arrived at that place. But I, I'm more interested in hearing whether you think that's an accurate tag. Um, I mean, it certainly can be. It, it, I think it depends a lot on the project and the setting and who I'm playing with. Um, I mean, you know, put me in a, in a trio playing a ballad and that's right where I'll go. There's no question about it. Yeah. It seems like with this, with this band, there's a lot more, uh, there's a, well, now just with this band, that's a ridiculous thing to say with all of your music. There's a lot more than contemplative and introspective. I, I would say, uh, based on the things that I've heard and this band seems to be no, no different. It really covers a pretty impressive amount of ground. Well, I'm I'm just thinking as we're talking about the the uh, John's tune four on one, and uh, uh, you know I, I'm that's one I'm pretty familiar with because we did quite a bit of listening to the the alternate takes and uh, I am I imagine there's a little bit of contemplative stuff from me on there somewhere but I'm not sure I could find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a totally different vibe, you know, and it worked. It all worked. Thank you. 
that that was actually one one thing I was curious about. Um, obviously, you guys are five people with you know very distinct personalities and a lot of experience leading groups. Um, is that an easy thing to navigate in the studio? In this case, it was because, uh, and I think this was in everybody's mind when we were kind of putting the band together. Is you know everybody was with the same mind that we didn't want even one cat in there who was you know, kind of all about me. You know, we didn't want any of that. And I, th- I think with this band, we got we got five cats who know how to give and take. And, and once you have that, the rest is easy. You and, uh, you and John Abercrombie have been uh, musical collaborators for a long time. And uh, I always enjoy hearing uh, guitar and piano together. And I always imagine that it must take some pretty intense listening to allow those two <laughs> instruments to work together. Is that what you find? Yeah, I think the, you know, what, regardless of of what situation I'm in, I always kind of like to, you know, there's there's the saying from the old west, shoot shoot first and ask questions later, and that's just what you don't want to do. Uh, at least I don't when I'm playing jazz, and and with guitar and piano, that's even more true because if you don't listen first, you're headed for trouble. But you know. I'm always listening, and, and and John sure is one of the best listeners in jazz I know. And, you know, that makes it easy, because we're waiting to see where the other cat goes. And and are there actually some, some questions asked, or some, I assume, some plans made, too, so that you guys know how to how you're going to work together in any particular tune, or does that just happen organically as you're playing? I think the, I think the questions are definitely asked, but they're asked musically as we play. Um... You know, and and I mean, I mean that quite literally. I mean, John could play a little, a little phrase here, and he might be saying, "Do you want to go this direction?" And I might answer with a phrase that says, "Okay," or I might say, "Well, no. Why don't we try this?" nice like that because then you have kind of a uh, a group discussion and, and vibe about where the stuff should go and at various points in that discussion one guy or two guys might take the lead and, and, and you know give it a little pull and say hey let's go over here and the other other guys will say okay but that'll go on for a short time and then the baton will be passed to somebody else. I, the analogy I always use is the, is the 69 Knicks. You know, this is from a New York sports fan. Um, but when you have, you know, five guys who can pass it around and are not interested in scoring the most points, whether it's basketball or music, then nice things can happen. Can that, can that only work because the five of you have enough collaborative history that you have some shared language? I mean, for example, you in the example you just gave, you have to know when John is suggesting something, or at least be able to tell, because you've heard his playing before, that this is the direction he wants to go in, and vice versa. I think the collaborative history happened because the vibe was there to begin with. You follow me? In other words, if sure. the first couple of times John and I played, if it was a train wreck, well, there would be no collaborative history. And and believe me, there's musicians um, who I'm sure I speak for all of us, whom we've all played with, where you know there is no collaborative history because it just doesn't work, so you move on. Um, 
So I, I think you're sort of right, but it's sort of the other way around. Sure. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, can you talk, uh, Mark, about how you met each of these uh, four other musicians? Okay, here we go. Let's see. Drew Gress I met when he was 17. Wow. And I was living in Washington, D.C., and I had a little little duo gig playing jazz at a private party, and somebody gave me his name, you know. And in walks this kid who was just tearing the bass up, amazing chops, perfect technique, um, didn't know any tunes. So that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You know, we've been playing together for years and uh, just kept developing. Um, John I met when I was playing alto with Chico Hamilton's band. And the the interesting thing about John is he's he's sort of an alter ego, and he had an incredible influence on me, so much so that when I ended up playing piano, uh, a lot of that was due to who he is as a person and how he approaches the guitar and how he approaches music. Dave, actually, be- before you go further yeah. uh, with that, can you talk a little bit more about that? What how what specifically about John's approach to music? Um, Cause that well you know john is coming out of that jim hall vibe like a part of me is coming out of that bill evans vibe which is you know listen leave space um all that kind of stuff i mean uh, for piano that's i got a lot of that from herbie too but 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 when i was playing with john and chico's band i w- i was sort of blown away because here was this guy who was the most musical guitar player I'd ever heard but he didn't shove it all in your face you know he just sat back and waited and played the right thing at the right time and you know keep in mind I was 22 years old you know and I was trying to play 9 million notes a minute all at the same time on alto and and when I played with John it was like whoa wait a minute you know there's something very heavy going on here and it had a very big influence on me Thanks, and I interrupted you as you were about to talk about Dave. Uh, That's okay. Dave, Dave, you know, I've known from when we were both playing saxophone in the 70s, and, um, you know, he's he's a great cat, and I've just always been impressed with his, you know, his commitment to the music and the uh, breadth of his knowledge and, and his love of it. And it, it's great. You can go a lot of different places with Dave and the band. Billy, I actually met, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think I may have met him when I was still living in Washington, D.C., but when I came to New York, and I was, you know, just starting to work into the scene as a pianist, and I thought, boy, it would be great if I could get to play with him at some point, but I figured, well, that's never going to happen. And, you know, sure enough, uh, three, four years later, we ended up on a lot of records and gigs together, and it's... It's great. He's always very open and very uh, very much about trying to make the whole band happen from the drums.
in in those stories there, there were a few things that I, I want to expand on for folks who may not know about your history. Uh, first, you're in the remarkably rare position of having had a successful musical career on two different instruments. Can you talk a little bit about the first section of your career and then how it became the, the second? You know, I was playing saxophone in, in late 60s, early 70s, and at that time in New York, my peers were Dave, of course, Lehman, Mike Brecker, the late Mike Brecker, the late Bob Berg. Kind of sad to be talking that way. But, and, uh, you know, it was a great scene. There was a Steve Grossman. There was a lot of intense music being made. But at a certain point, and, and this is where John Abercrombie had a big effect, I realized my my heart wasn't in it. And that my, my heart was in something with a little more space and a little more lyricism, a certain amount of uh, contemplative playing, if you will. I kind of just went with that because it felt right. And presumably you already had some piano chops at that point. You didn't just decide, I'm going to learn an entire new instrument. And well, I could comp, and I, I, you know, I wrote on piano as most saxophone players do, but I, I wouldn't have been wouldn't have been much good at playing a solo so it took a little while to get that together but the minute I, I started doing it I felt I felt very content just felt absolutely right it was like uh, it was like if you were wearing a suit that was too tight for years and then all of a sudden somebody comes along and gives you a suit and say try this on and it fit perfectly uh, you mentioned that you met Drew Gress while you were in D.C., and one of the short bios that I saw about you, you know, ref- said that you disappeared for 10 years, which I'm sure is, you know, probably news to you, um, because you you were there the whole time, as far as I know. You just weren't in New York, which I guess is disappearing to a lot of the jazz press. Uh, but can you talk about um, where else you found a home for that decade while you were uh, kind of... Well, I was in the D.C. Baltimore area, and, and at that time, there was a terrific scene there. I played... You know, jazz four or five nights a week sometimes, um, and not only with my own bands, but, you know, I'd, I'd be in the local rhythm section backing up people who came in. I remember more than once, you know, all the people I mentioned with, with before, including Dave, including Bob Berg and, and Bob Mincer and so forth, we'd come down, and I'd kind of be in charge of the trio backing them up, and I remember I talked to Bob about moving to New York once, Bob Mincer, and he said, he said, man, don't move. He said, you'd never work with all these cats if you were in New York. This is a great position you're in. Well, I ignored his advice. But uh, he's right about one thing, that I I kind of got quite a bit of training squeezed into to, uh, the five or ten years I was down there. Have you have you kept in touch with the, the D.C. scene at all? Is it anything like it was when you were there? Well... I, I, I'm not really in touch like I used to be. There is a, a wonderful drummer down down there named Tony Martucci, whom I still work with. He's on a couple of my records, and I'm on a couple of his. But um, sadly, the scene down there seems to have pretty much dried up. Anytime I go down there, you know, musicians who come by just say, well, there's not really much going on anymore. There's, there's still Blues Alley couple other clubs but it's nothing like what it used to be when i was there there was like six seven clubs clubs going all the time
was it useful to be out of the pressure cooker of New York when you were kind of building the second phase of your career? Absolutely. I got to do it and, and kind of relax at the same time. <clears throat> and uh, I think if I'd been in New York, it would have been a little too much. You mentioned uh, when you met Drew that he had a lot of chops and, and no library in his head. And I wonder, um, was there someone who, who took you under their wing in a similar way to the uh, the way that you did with Drew? Well, actually, there is. I, I had a funny thing from, from playing saxophone, which was I knew quite a few standards, but I only knew the A section. I didn't know the bridge, because typically, if you're playing in a jazz club or at a club date, you play the A section, and then the piano player takes the bridge, right? So I knew tons of tunes, but I didn't know the bridge to all of them. Well, when I went to piano, that got to be a problem. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, uh, and I was doing fine for most gigs, but but then at one point I ended up with a singer, and a one night a week gig with Keeter Betts, who's no longer around. But Keeter was. He lived in Washington for 25, 30 years. He was the original bassist with the Winton Kelly Trio. And he left the trio to get married and moved to Washington. Yeah, I've met, talked was, with him several times, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's a, a sweet guy. And, and, of course, knew a million tunes. So we'd do this gig with a singer, and the singer would turn around and say, okay, we're going to go, uh, we're going to do uh, Our Love is Here to Stay, which actually, I guess what, sort of doesn't have a bridge. I think that's more like 32 bars. But anyway... So she'd turn around, and I'd look at Keeter with my eyes wide open in panic, and <laughs> Keeter would just wink, and he'd say, just lay out the first chorus, you know. And he'd play the first chorus so beautifully and so clearly that then I could hear the tune, you know, it was no problem. So I'd come in the second chorus, and everything was cool. And we, we had that gig, I guess, I don't know, three, four months, and by the end of that, I'd, I had the library in my head. Do you ever still do that? Not Not because you need to, but... Just because it's interesting, sit out the what? first chorus. Do I ever? Do you ever sit out the first chorus just to see what happens? Oh yeah. Oh, this is this is you know, Jason. You you just hit the 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 big uh, <laughs> the big the big thing. I always uh, put in with my master classes, especially with pianists but in general, which is I'll put on. Uh, I think it's one finger snap, but it's it's one of those blue note. Herbie Hancock records, uh, Perry and Isles are one of them. And I'll put it on, uh, it's either one finger snapper or the hurricane or both, but I'll put it on and I'll say, okay. So this is Miles Davis's rhythm section, and they're playing with Freddie Hubbard, who's their buddy, right? And they're getting to do whatever they want. And, well, what's happening here? Well, the first thing Herbie does when Freddie starts playing is lay out. And he doesn't lay out for a few bars. He lays out for one chorus or two choruses. And, you know, how cool is that? What's he doing? Well, he's he's letting everything settle, and he's waiting to see where it goes. And, you know, as, as, as many pianists, both my generation and the younger cats who are, you know, full of energy and all that, as many of them as I've heard play, you'll go a long time before you'll hear somebody lay out three, four choruses at the beginning of someone else's solo. And and it always makes an impression on people, and it sure made an impression on me. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, um, you know, having a conversation. 99% of the time, you'll go a long time before the person you're speaking with waits till you're finished speaking before they start again. Uh, it seems like we're not we're not accustomed to letting silence be uh, in in anything that we do, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and and silence is such an important part of music. It really is. Uh, to come back to uh, to contact in the new uh, record uh, five on one on pirouette, um, I can only imagine what it would be like to attempt to schedule some live gigs with the five of you who must have five of the fullest appointment books uh, in jazz. Is it possible to do it? Are you guys going to get a chance to to play this record at all? Well, we we got this tour which I'm leaving on tomorrow, where we're we're doing the summer festival circuit in Europe, and uh, you know then we'll come back and we'll we'll. We'll go to the next phase, whatever that is. But I, I can tell you that while I was delighted that this all worked out, it was a bit of a scheduling nightmare, and uh, but a bit of worked out. And in fact, we did have to we did have to cut one corner, which is Drew Gress had some earlier commitments he couldn't get out of. So, so Doug Weiss, who's a great bass player, you know, works in Al Foster's band. He's going to cover some of the gigs that Drew can make, but. You know, this is what happens. But we got close. We got almost the whole band for most of the gigs. That's great. Um, one uh, one kind of final area I wanted to ask you about is uh, you release records at an impressive pace. <laughs> We're talking about this one particular one, but we could we could find many others to talk about without having to go back very far. And I wonder if you just talk about um, why you do that, why you feel comfortable doing it, which is something so many people are, are loath to do. Well, that's a good question. I'm, you know, it. it I, I think it just kind of happens. And actually, as we speak, there's been a, there's been a little bit of a lull, but but we're getting ready to gear up again and go into the studio second half of this year and first part of next year, and do some things. But it's, um, you know, it's pre, it, It's. I, I think it's more a question of not. It's time to do another recording. It's a question of there's this, there's this project that that. It feels right, and you know if it happens that there's a lot of projects that are feeling right that come up in a flurry, then you do them. I mean, it's it's sort of not about the numbers, but about just where things seem to be going. You know, we'll just we'll just see how it goes. You know. uh, obviously, on this record, you're playing with four people who, at least in the jazz world, are are household names. Um, but I'm guessing that in your musical travels, you must also come across people who. Uh, who aren't household names, but who who ought to be? Who more people should know? Are there some of those folks? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm I've met these people my whole life, and it's all always seemed to me a little bittersweet, you know, that they they don't really get the the the, the appreciation and the and the chance to play that they deserve. And certainly, you know, my producer Jason Seitzer, who's a very good tenor player at Pirouette, is one, and another one is. Uh, Actually, uh, staying at my house this week is a tenor player, Stan Saltzman from England, and you know we've done a couple CDs together, and you know there's others to be sure, but it's it's I always encourage people to you know not follow the names necessarily and just listen for the notes. My guest is pianist and composer Mark Copeland. He uh, and uh, four of his musical friends have a new album called Five on One. It's on the Pirouette label under the band name Contact. And uh, Mark, it's been a real pleasure talking to you and listening to your music over the years, and I hope we'll get a chance to do it again. Sounds good, Jason. Thanks a lot.
That's music from the band Contact from their new album Five on One, which features Mark Copeland on piano. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of the show is also available for free in iTunes and at thejazzsession.com, where you'll also find Amazon links to help you purchase the music that you hear on the show, as well as a donate button. If you feel like the Jazz Session has added something to your life, and you'd like to give a little back, it is pretty easy to do that. You can just donate via jazzsession.com. The Respect Sextet recorded the theme music for this show. They're at respectsextet.com, and they've got a CD release party, or a music release party. They are releasing a new album. Uh, it's actually going to be a digital format album, but they're releasing it with a party at uh, Le Poisson Rouge, where they released their last record. And that is on Tuesday, August 17th. Uh, opening act to be decided, but Tuesday, August 17th, and you can find out more at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. Thank you so much for listening. Now get out there and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.